My scripture today is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I've read this scripture uh, before, but I want to read it again and focus in on this mission Sunday. We read in chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, and now here is the Here is where I want to speak from today, is this next verse. And I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But I'm undone, he says, for my eyes have seen. I'm undone, because of what my eyes have seen, and I've seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so my sermon title today is Missions Done and Undone. And what does it mean to be undone? I mean, when it comes to missions, we're doing. We're doing it. We're doing. We're, we're getting a lot done. But what does it mean to be undone? And so, as Mitch just mentioned a few weeks ago, we were in Nairobi. And I was privileged to be able to speak for Pastor Don Matheny and the Nairobi Lighthouse Church, which is probably the funnest church to preach in in the whole world. They are not quiet like Australians. They are rowdy as. And so much fun. And, be, and the real joy is you get to do three services on the Sunday. And uh, so for three times, you get to be carried away in what I think heaven will probably be more like Africa than Australia, just thinking out loud. But while we were there, we did have the privilege of gathering in Dr. Sothine and Batoko, his beautiful wife from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We brought in Gertrude uh, and uh, her husband, Timothy, from Liberia. We brought in Jamie Peters from uh, South Africa. We got our team and gathered them together. And for about three hours, we said and we talked about the works that we're doing together. We talked about uh, all the things that the Lord has done. And while we were there talking, uh, Dr. Sothine and Batoko, we, we began to talk about that prison. I've been in that prison. Mitch was in that prison, 2,000 prisoners. And up until two years ago, when we began to feed them, why did we begin to feed the prisoners? Well, because the government doesn't feed them. Because, there's, because the year before we began feeding prisoners, 365 prisoners starved to death in the prison. They starved to death incarcerated. They couldn't even forage. They couldn't even try. They couldn't even, you know, uh, no, they starved. And, and the government pays the warden of that prison $25 a week. That's it. They don't pay guards. They don't pay. I mean, they, they, those prisoners are literally forsaken and forgotten. 
And so if we, we started, uh, uh, so every month, uh, Batoko goes in with uh, all the women that have been putting the packages together and they're feeding these prisoners and the death rate has dropped to last year to 16 because now people maybe are dying from diseases, but not starvation because they're more nutrition, they're, they're, they're nourished. And so they're thanking us. They're just, they just keep thanking us for what we're doing. And then Dr. Sostein says to me, but there's so much need. And he said, the prisoners are still wearing today the very same clothes they wore when they came in three years ago. And, and then he also said, and the pharmacy in the prison is empty. There's not one pill, and there are people in there with malaria and typhoid and there's tuberculosis. And, and I'm just thinking, God, is there a more forsaken, forgotten place on earth than that prison? And when you go into that prison, whatever you're wearing, however many months or years you are in that prison, you go out wearing. And I could hardly breathe. And I wasn't happy. I, I was, and Sothene could see my heart was just sinking. And I was just thinking, we're not doing anything. We're not doing, no, 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 no. He saw me kind of go down into this, this, this despair. I was feeling such despair, thinking, God, what are we hardly doing? What, what can I do, Lord? There's so much need. I'm dying here. I'm drowning in this need. God, I don't know. What, no, he kept saying, no, you have no, what you're, it may seem like you're not doing much. You're doing so much, he kept reassuring me. You're doing so much. But I just had this sense of being undone. And then later that afternoon, we had dinner with Don and Amy Matheny and their children and Rebecca, their worship pastor, Don's daughter, uh, was sharing with us about a ministry uh, that they had started to be involved in just recently. They'd watched this ministry for about five years. There is a retired African couple who began ministering, of all things, to little girls who had babies through incest. Little girls who had been raped by their fathers. And when a, when a little girl is raped by her father, the baby's life is in danger because the baby is evidence of a criminal offense. And so they have to hide and protect. And so this couple sold their home and they got this little compound and they'll have 20 or 30 little girl, young girls, young girls in there with another 20 or 30 little boys and girls, little children running around. This ministry is called Wings of Mercy. And, you know, they, the, the home ministry is ministering to young girls who uh, have babies through incest, through rape. And I couldn't believe the words were coming out of my, I tried for an hour while we sat there for lunch to not say it, don't 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 say it. And the next thing you know, I said it. I said, well, let's go see. <sighs> I said, let's go see. Don and Amy had bought them a little van, a little transport van. So the next thing I know, they, we pull up and there's some, a big steel gate, and they open the gate, and Mitch and I, and Don, we, we walk in, and as soon as I step in, this little two-year-old boy come running as fast as he could to me, and he wrapped his little arms around my leg, and he put his little head on my knee, and he just loved on me, and I just thought, you know, he has no idea. He has no idea why he's here. 
But the place was filled with singing and laughing and joy, and they were singing about Jesus. And, these, and here was this young girl. She was in year six holding her baby. And little babies, little children, and here were these two beautiful Maasai sisters, one holding her baby from her trauma and the other one pregnant with a baby. And we looked around there at this little compound and this couple who have given their life for these dear, dear, dear people. And uh, there's like one toilet between them. Between the whole, on the whole compound, there was one toilet. So Mitch and I looked at each other and we thought, you know what, Imaginations Church will build a toilet facility here. And then Don Matheny said, yeah, and we'll, we'll build a shower facility. And, and we gave them what we could give them. But I got to tell you, this is a broken planet that we live on. And I just had this sense of being undone. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, truthfully, we're getting a lot done in missions. But am I allowing myself to be undone in the process? There's doing and there's undoing. Am I a confident and comfortable doer, you know, of missions? Or am I shaken and shattered at the plight of the forgotten and the forsaken and the desperate? Is missions undoing me? I think of Jesus when he approached Jerusalem and how undone he was. Luke tells us the story as Jesus approaches the city in Luke 13 and verse 34. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not Willing, And then we read in chapter 19. Now, as he drew near to Jerusalem, to the city, Jesus wept over it. Now, I'm going to come back to this word in a minute. But literally, Jesus sobbed. He sobbed. He didn't get moist eyes. Jesus began, he sobbed. And between the sobbing, Jesus said this to the city. He was so undone. He said, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept. He wept. This word literally means to sob. It literally means to wail. It literally means to lament. It's weeping from pain. It's the kind of weeping you do when you hurt. You see, Jesus stood there, and he knew that 37 years later, Titus and the Roman army 
would completely demolish and obliterate the city. And that's exactly what happened in 70 A.D. Titus besieged and captured Jerusalem under the orders of Caesar, and Titus himself would become Caesar. He destroyed the city. He destroyed the second temple. And for his achievement, he was awarded the Arch of Titus, which still stands for 2,000 years. If you've been to Rome, the first time Carol and I ever went to Rome, we accidentally came upon this. And I said, look at this. What is this? That's the plundering of Jerusalem. It still stands 2,000 years later to the exact prophecy that Jesus spoke. And we see Jesus undone also in the garden of Gethsemane. Luke tells us, and he prayed more fervently and was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Sometimes, before there can be great doing, there has to be great undoing. I saw this years ago in Pensacola, Florida, at the Brownsville Revival, a revival like I'd never seen in my lifetime. I went two times from Australia in the six years of that revival to visit a church that was having the most astounding revival. I'm not the only one. Four and a half million people from 150 nations visited that church in Brownsville, Florida, with lines that would line up outside the, the, the door that would start. Honestly, the service would end at night. And when it ended, people would go outside. They'd come from 150 different nations, and they would stand at the door waiting for the next service the next night. They would sleep in the car park. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. But I understood the revival. I understood something about the revival when I was there by what I saw one night. And what I saw, of course, a place so packed, people still lined up. Not everyone can get in. But Pastor John Kilpatrick had a young teenager, 16-year-old boy, come and share what was happening in his high school because revival was breaking out all over Pensacola, Florida. And I saw this young boy, skinny kid. And it was one of those big old wooden pulpits that the Pentecostals like to use in America. Not a cool pulpit like this. And I remember that skinny kid put his arms on that pulpit and he started weeping for his school, his high school. And he began to cry like I have never seen a kid cry like that. And he began to cry for his students, his fellow students in the school. He began to weep and then he began to sob and then he began to wail. And with my own eyes, I watched this young man he could hardly speak. He was so undone. And it reminded me of a quote 
that I've quoted personally to myself for years, but I don't know if I've ever quoted it publicly, but it's a quote by A.W. Tozier who said, before God can use a man greatly, he must first hurt him deeply. In other words, sometimes, sometimes undone precedes done. Undoing is often the catalyst for doing. We see this in the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know the story of how a man is on his way to Jericho and he's robbed, he's, he's stripped of all of his clothing, he's left for dead on the road. And Jesus tells the story of the priest and the Levite who come by and don't do anything. And then he tells the story of a despised Samaritan who does come by. So in the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite, they pause and then they pass. They pause and then they pass the man who had been brutally beaten, robbed, laying there completely naked, covered in his own blood, left for dead. They were not undone. They were just done. See, they'd gone up to the temple. They'd gone up to do their priestly duties. They'd gone up for their yearly uh, commitment uh, in, in ministry. Uh, they were done. They were done with temple duty. They were done with ministry. They were done with their work, and they were on their way home to Jericho. But the Samaritan was undone. And in his undoing, he began to do what needed to be done. Jesus said in Luke 10, 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And I want you to see the, the steps here. And when he saw him, you're never going to be undone if you don't see it. And when he saw him, so you can't have the compassion. Then he had compassion, but he couldn't have compassion until he saw him. He saw him. And then he went to him, and there it is. There it is. He saw him. He had compassion, and then he moved to him. And Jesus said, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him, but he had to see him first. See, the priest and the Levite, they glanced at him, but the Samaritan saw him. The Greek word here literally means he beheld him. And then when he really saw him, he had compassion. And this is a an amazing word, if you have a strong concordance and you look up the word that Luke uses in the Greek, compassion, it literally means to have the bowels yearn. To have the bowels yearn. It, it literally means to be moved. Thayer's Dictionary says to be moved as one's bowels. In other words, it's kind of like being punched in the stomach. In other words, it's kind of like being undone. 
The priest was done. Levite was done. The Samaritan was undone. But the undone got done what needed to be done. You know the words that we as Christ followers live for, the, the two words that we want more than any other words in our whole life, we want these words at the end of our life, the words we want to hear more than any other words. Nothing would matter. Nothing would even come close to these two words from Jesus. Well done. That's, that's what we want is the full stop at the end of our life. Those are the words, the words we want to hear. Well done. And we read in Matthew 25, when Jesus tells this parable, and his Lord says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. But, but I think we may need to be undone before we hear, well done. The Bible says that Samaritan saw him. He didn't just notice him. He perceived him. He literally turned his eyes upon him while the priest and the Levite turned their eyes away from him. He saw him. It's really interesting that in Matthew 25, at the end of the age, when Jesus gathers all the nations and he has the goats on his left hand, the sheep on his right hand, he says, you know, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, I was a stranger. And the goats go away uh, wailing in sadness. The sheep go away in, into everlasting life. But I, here's what's so interesting. When I read this story, I'm thinking about the Samaritan saw him. He saw him, and that's what moved him, and that's why he began to care for him. But in Matthew 25, when Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats, you know what the goats say to Jesus? When did we see you? Hungry. Or thirsty. Or naked. Or in prison. Or sick. Or a stranger. You know, to their own confession, we never saw you like that. You see, to be undone, you have to see something. You have to see forsaken and forgotten prisoners wearing the same clothes for three years. You have to see young girls holding babies in their arms from incest. Andrew talked about this little 11-year-old girl in our school. We were at Westcare this week. We had one of our pastor's meetings over there just so Andrew could show off the beautiful facility God's honored us with and blessed us with over there. And the room was just all kinds of activity this time of year. And here's all these backpacks, like 90 backpacks. Andrew told me that there's an 11-year-old girl in our school who's raised enough money to buy... 45 
backpacks for men and 45 for women, stuffing them with not just needs and necessities, but even little pampers for, with makeup for women, cologne for men, packing them, packing them. And all of that came, he told me, because when she was in the city with her family, she happened to see a homeless man who was being harassed and ridiculed by a group of kids. And it just so disturbed her. And she asked her parents, what's, 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 what's wrong with this man? What's, what's going on? And they began to share with her that he was homeless. And she said, can we help him? And so I think her parents gave him a little money, but she couldn't stop seeing what she saw. And so she, she's 11, and she got online to a GoFundMe account. And now 90 of these backpacks will be given. She'll give some herself, and others will go through where Andrew was talking earlier. We'll be going to help people because of what she saw. Mitch just stood up here and said in two or three minutes that there's going to be at least four missions trips this next year. You need to go see. Or at least you need to go across town and see. I think we should all go on a missions trip. I think if you've been on a missions trip, you should go again. I think if you've never been, why don't you just put it in that this next year, I know of pastors on my team, on our, ta on our staff, who have made sure that every one of their kids go with them at some point on a missions trip because it marks their life and gives them a perspective to help them live the rest of their life with some kind of a sense of balance. I think we should go on a missions trip. I think we should, you know, I used to have a vision. I still have a vision. And I've talked about this years ago of our, our team. We're not just a giving church, but our team's literally high-fiving each other at the airport as they're passing, one coming and one going. Yes. One coming and one going. How was it? It was awesome. How, where are you guys off? We're off now. We're you, we've got a building team, or we've got a teaching team, or we're going to go do this. And, and, just, and why couldn't Imagination's Church just have a nonstop going and coming, the doors open, coming and going, high-fiving people, going and coming from the mission field? And I think we should go with a willingness for the Lord to open our eyes and a willingness to be undone. It's just too easy for me to outsource my missions through my giving. It's just too easy for me to go online and just do it. Get it done. I've been doing it for decades. And Carol and I personally give Tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars every year to missions. And we have for years. But you see, there's doing and then there's undoing. There is done and then there is undone. And I don't want to just give to missions because we do it. I don't want to just give to missions because we've been making faith promises for decades. And, we just, and, and I don't want to just give to missions because I can. I want to do it because I must. Because I must. And not just because I can. I can is how I get it done 
But I must is how I do it undone. And I must is ten times more powerful than I can. You know, you can do I can from complacency and convenience and even comfort and even out of habit. But I must. That compels me. That constrains me. And this is how the Apostle Paul described and identified his entire ministry, not with I can, but with I must. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, he said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Necessity is laid upon me. And then he says what Isaiah says. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Necessity is laid upon me. Paul said he didn't just preach the gospel because he can. He said he preached the gospel because he must. He said necessity is laid upon me. We don't just do missions because we can. We do missions because we must. Necessity is laid upon us. I'm going to ask our team to join me, please. We don't just give to missions because we can. Because we just happen to live in the most prosperous nation on earth. And we can do this. And we do it. We do do this. Like hardly anyone else I know. But we don't just give to missions because we can. We give to missions because we must. And I want you to know, in three weeks, on Christmas Day, we're going to be taking up a very special Christmas Day offering. And what we're going to do Christmas Day is provide a big Christmas for all the boys and girls we support in Mexico. They're going to have a big Christmas party on us. We're going to, and then Gertrude and her husband, Timothy, we're going to provide a big Christmas meal and dinner for all the children we support up there. But on Christmas Day, we are going to buy a new set of clothes for every prisoner in the prison in Africa. 2,000 sets of clothes plus 300 dresses for also the women's part of that prison. So I know we're thinking Christmas presents, we're thinking Christmas shopping. I'm giving you a little heads up that on Christmas Day, we are going to do something very special. And we're going to buy the first set of clothes, for the only set of clothes these prisoners have had since they've been in prison. And yes, let's do it because we can. But even more, let's do it because we must. Let's do it because necessity is laid upon us. There is done and there is undone. There is doing and there is undoing. And this morning, on this Mission Sunday, let us expose our hearts to God and let us become vulnerable to Him and let us not avert our eyes and let us not be like the priest and the Levite who turned their eyes away. Let's turn our eyes 
towards. And maybe let us reevaluate and reexamine and reconsider why we do missions. Why? Not just how and when and why we do faith promises. Why God has blessed you. Why God has prospered you. Why God has blessed your business or your home or your household. Why? Why? To see how much of it we can leave behind when we die. Why we make faith promises. Why we bring offerings to the house of God. Why we have mission Sundays and why we give to missions and why we as a local church give half of our income to missions. Let's stand together, please. It's awesome what what we've done. It's awesome. And as your pastor, I'm so proud to pastor church that's doing missions like no other church I know and I I think I should be satisfied with that I think that should be enough but there's doing and there's undoing there's done and there's undone because there's still so much more to do and so Heavenly Father We're your people. And I know this is your obedient people. This is your generous people. This is your good people. This church is the good Samaritan church. This is the church that cares. This is the church that sees. But Father, I pray that while we're doing this, the Holy Spirit would keep undoing us for others. And Lord, I know this isn't the comfortable gospel that builds, you know, great, great megachurch. But I do believe this is the true gospel that builds your people and causes your people to go deep and causes your people to go further than ever before. And so, use us greatly, even if you have to hurt us deeply. Let let undone be not unfamiliar to us as we think about boys and girls, women who, widows, the poor, the forsaken, the forgotten. We're blessed. I thank you that we're on this side of all that trauma and all that tragedy. We're on the side that can be your hand and your feet to so many. So do something fresh in our church. We're not here today proud. We're not here today boasting. We're not here today puffed up. We're here today and we're saying, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my heart. And I want to, I want to be authentic before you. And I want you to do in my heart what you need to do. In Jesus' name, amen.